Blog Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome once again to A Sound Heart. And I want to give God thanks for this opportunity to meet with you. Uh, God is good to us every day and we should maintain an attitude of thanksgiving toward him always. And so uh, our topic this morning uh, is very uh, is highly important uh, in these evil days in which we live. So I want to discuss what does it mean to put on Christ? And we're going to be getting the book of Genesis for our discussion this morning. So uh, let us have a word of prayer and we'll start. Father, we want to give you thanks in the name of Jesus for this time. Uh, that you have allowed us to spend together. We ask to be directed by your Holy Spirit uh, during this time, Lord. We pray that uh, you would hold back the powers of darkness uh, that would seek to impede or impose its nefarious will upon this time. And so we ask for your wisdom and for your direction. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I want to begin uh, in the book of Genesis uh, at the top of our discussion. Uh, I want to say that recently there was a Supreme Court nominee, and she has since become a part of a, the Supreme Court. And this, this individual was asked a question, uh, well, what is a woman? What is a woman? And... So I want you to listen very carefully to the language and uh, because what we have here is an illusion of uh, a real question because uh, the one who uttered the, uh, the question and the one who received the question uh, were on two different uh, – well, the thinking was highly different. So I want I want to share with you what the biblical record uh, teaches you and I uh, uh, about this subject. The Bible does not use the term genders, plural. The Bible doesn't use that that language at all. And so I want you to really understand that, uh, and I'm sure you know that uh, it is the desire and uh, of the world system to tear at the fabric uh, of the family as created by God. Uh, mother and father are mentioned by God. They, they are uh, in the Ten Commandments. That's how essential parents are, mother and father. 
So these people are attempting to uh, tear apart or tear us under the very foundation uh, of reality uh, by by destroying uh, or attempting to destroy the family. This is not merely what they call the nuclear family. It is the family as the the family as created by God. So this is a, an attack upon God. So uh, let me read to you uh, from Genesis. And uh, this is Genesis 1. I'm going to begin at verse 26. Genesis 1, verse 26. Quote, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Now, I need you to pay very careful attention to the language and to what the Bible says. These were the first parents, the original parents. And here's, a, here's God's command to them. Uh, people uh, like to uh, play with the word of God and say, well, where do these people get their uh, their spouses from, and uh, and people, you know, go on to laugh and say, "Well, this is absurd. Why would God do this?" You have to understand that in the beginning, uh, the relationships that are imposed now upon mankind were not a part of this uh, of, of this agreement. Notice what God says to them. And uh, what he, what his will is for them, that is the first parents to do. Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So I'm going to stop there. And so uh, here... Here, God, uh, that is uh, Elohim, the strong one of authority, uh, creates man in his uh, shadow, uh, really his shadow in the, in the Hebrew. And here you, we have, uh, we read that he created male and female. He created them. So, uh, the Hebrew has a dynamic view of man. And notice that uh, both, in the word of God, are called Adam. Both are called Adam. Both are called man or red, uh, which re, uh, reflects 
their origin or the uh, because man was created out from the earth. However, when we go to Genesis 2, we read that God, and this is verse 22, then, quote, then the Lord God made a woman from uh, the rib. The Hebrew does not have rib uh, in the text. Uh, that he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called and out of the man, unquote. So uh, in Genesis 1, we read that God created man um, uh, in his image and likeness. In Genesis 2, we read that God made a woman, and the word that's used there is built. It is not the same word he used for the creation of the Adam. The word is built. And so the word built, uh, yesar, as used in Hebrew, uh, means something that is intricate and fine. Someone who is intricate, someone who is very complex in structure. And in Hebrew, when uh, Adam saw her, uh, he says, this is the hit. This is the stroke. And the word in Hebrew means anvil or foot. And so uh, he, uh, uh, the Adam has been given one that is his own. Then the Lord God made the woman from the tissue sample he had taken out of the man. And he brought her to the man. Now, uh, in Hebrew, the word woman means man with the womb. Man with the womb. Listen to this again. So what is a woman? What is a woman? So the person who uttered this statement, as it were, was saying, what is a womb man? And so the answer is contained in uh, this illegitimate question. Womb man. What is a womb man? So the answer is inherent. Uh, in this query. So I want us to really be thankful for what God has provided for us, the clarity that he has provided for us. The word of God does not address hermaphroditism or a trans man or a trans man. Uh, now, in, the, in Western Asia, in the perverted religions uh, of Western Asia, uh, we say Canaan, uh, you, uh, of, uh, these practices were going on. And uh, so I want you to see uh, why God cast uh, these people out. Uh, and remember God's 
uh, said to Abraham that the sins of the Amorites are not yet full or not yet complete. And remember in the book of Genesis also, or the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, these heinous practices were going on at that time. These are ancient practices. The, uh, these, these perversions, the, uh, the perversity uh, is ancient. Uh, if you would read uh, Pilgrim's Progress, uh, the, uh, the, the saints were put on trial uh, in this particular town because they uh, were, would not engage in the profligacy and the carnality in the sensuousness, the, the, the sensuous play and the revelry of that town. And so uh, these people were offended by their godly demeanor and godly behavior. And so they executed a, one of the saints of God because he did not practice their wanton sin. So let me say again, the Bible does not talk about the rationality of man or, or the fallenness of man. The Bible doesn't use those terms. The Bible, however, does talk about speak very vociferously and frankly about the exceeding sinfulness of sin. The Bible talks about the sinful mind and sinful practices. So uh, we will get to that uh, uh, more shortly. So uh, verse 24 of Genesis 2, quote, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Ehad, a compound unity, a compound unity. That word is used in Deuteronomy 6.4 to bespeak the Trinity. Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Not a single, but a compound unity. The Old Testament, the book of Genesis, begins with Elohim. Elohim, uh, the I am suffix, denotes uh, plurality. Elohim in the beginning, or Elohim at the head of creation. So there is a nobility to the Adam and his wife, they have a nobility. They are the direct creation of God. They have the image of God in their creation. Transgenderism is an attempt to mar and to destroy what God has created. What God, and notice the language here, therefore, for this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. So united means uh, they're going to be to cling as glue. That is from God. God here has performed the first 
wedding ceremony. This is God's own language. This is what God has uh, has decreed. So I don't want you confused uh, by uh, by the ruin of this of the fake culture. Uh, they want you to be deceived and hopelessly uh, led about in error. They want you to be unable to focus. They want you your your. Uh, they want you fragmented because when you're fragmented and you're not focused, then what? You don't know what to do. You have no anchor. You have no focus. And without focus, uh, you can be easily manipulated through their programs. Your cell phone is a programming tool. I received a message a few days ago on my uh, handheld Cyclops that read, this was a statement sent to me. You should name more people when you say things. Why? Because the algorithm wants it, and it will be able to connect me uh, more uh, and uh, and to connect other individuals more to me. You see this net that they have created? They want to be able to uh, find out my likes and dislikes and who I'm seeing in secret or who I'm, you know, they have all this technology that has nothing to do with growing you up or maturing you in God. It has an entertainment feature. Okay? Enter containment feature. You are led into the system and you are held into the system by this frenetic tool. So the Adam says, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And when we get to Genesis 3, uh, you know what happens. The Nakash, the shining one, comes in and he uh, deceives uh, the woman. Uh, and she was thoroughly deceived uh, by, by this encounter. They, uh, and so we read in, in Genesis 3, 7, then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked. Now, uh, in Genesis 2.25, we read, and the man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. In Genesis 3.1, we read, now the serpent was more crafty than any other, any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. I want you to see what is happening here. This word in Genesis uh 225 that has been translated as shame and the word in Genesis 3.1 that has been translated as crafty, uh, there is a dissonance. There is a, a, a connection between these two words. Notice where the enemy enters into the home. 
through their nakedness. They wore no clothes. They, they, there was nothing between them. And there, there is this beautiful relationship that they shared. Anyone enters in uh, through this what? This, this nakedness. And he exploits it. And notice in Genesis 3, 2, that the Nakash, the shining one, does not speak to the Adam, the man. He speaks to the Isha, the woman. And so what we have here is the presence of the diabolic in the garden of the light. Their home in Hebrew was called the Garden of Delight, Gan Eden. He says to her, and the woman says in verse 3, but God did say, you must not eat of the uh, fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. And that is not God's language. Verse 4, the shining one says, you will not surely die. Notice what is going on here, this, uh, this ex- exchange. This exchange is what? Uh, they're talking about God. Much theology is a talking about God, about God. It has little to do with God. It is what? Uh, uh, subjective reflections upon God, period. Be careful to whom you listen. Um, and so the, the, the Nikesh come back, comes back and says, you will not surely die. So I want you to see how this, this, this womb man is led into, uh, uh, she is, uh, is deceived into this, this heinous lie that we're, that's going to result uh, in Quinces. Now, she is deceived into doing this, this act of disobedience, whereas the man does what he does. He, disobe- he disobeys the, the known will of God. He knew what he was doing. He is culpable for his act of his brazen act of sin. He knew exactly what he was doing. So uh, we read in verse seven that their eyes were open, and so now we have we have what we have the birth of human. We say human conscience. So. Now look look what look what look what has entered, and with the birth of human conscience, what do we have? We have a uh, the reality now of shame, of shame. So, and they realized they were naked, and so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves, and so now here is human incompleteness. And here is their covering oh, uh, for now their awareness of 
their lostness. Then in verse 8, so uh, the, the serpent comes to the woman uh, at the beginning of Genesis 3. Then in verse 8, uh, the man and his wife heard the sound of God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Isn't that interesting language? So now they are different. They are different. God's not different. They are different. And they hid from God among the trees of the garden. And so along with conscience comes this what? We're naked. And here's this what? Uh, The divine presence is among us. And so uh, let us hide. And God does not come and point the accusing finger at the Adam, but God says to the man, the head of the home, God says, who are you? And the same question today goes out to men, uh, who are you? You at your computer or with your handheld cyclops, are you communicating uh, with a woman that you know you shouldn't have a relationship with? Is your conscience bothering you or do you attempt to hide or are you at your laptop late in the night preparing a sermon and uh, you stop preparing the sermon and you decide, well, I want to look at some pornography? Where are you? You see how self-deception works? The trap was laid. Well, there's no one else around, so therefore I'm not accountable, and I'm only accountable for my actions uh, when uh, others are nearby or can detect what I'm doing. That's not real. When you have a real relationship with God, you are always consciously aware of what? Thou, God, seest me. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the earth, beholding the good and the evil. Prolonged uh, stay in sin and darkness will produce what? Uh, Ever-increasing blindness until uh, the individual develops an insensitivity to God and the things of God. See, if I want to play with sin and practice sin, I have to have this faith, uh, uh, belief, this faith, uh, this fake uh, atheism going on in my heart. I know God is real, but yet I'm doing this, this, this heinous activity. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was a Afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Man, I could write a paper on that that one verse. It is so loaded with so much. I heard you in the garden. Uh, I heard you in my home. 
the home that you provided, that you made, that you created, why uh, you gave me everything. And I lacked nothing. I had perfect environment. A mist came up from the earth uh, to water uh, the vegetation. Uh, you gave me the perfect climate, the perfect atmosphere. Uh, I had no need to think about, uh, you know, any uh, anything. You provided everything for me. And God says, who told you, who told you you were naked? Notice. Who told you that you were naked? And God immediately comes back, have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? So here is a direct question, and then the man provides an indirect response. The man said, the woman you put here with me. So God, it's God's fault. First, at the creation of the woman, the Adam says, this is the stroke. This is the anvil. This is the foot. This is it. But now, you see what conscience has done? You see what sin has done? So he throws the, his wife under the bus. The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. And notice where he puts his responsibility. So she is, you're the, uh, you're the cause, and she's the cause, and then I merely followed. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And then the woman from her own lips says, the serpent deceived me, and I ate Second Corinthians eleven two. Please read Second Corinthians eleven two. So what I'm going to skip down. Verse seventeen to Adam and God gives judgments on on uh, the woman. Well, to the serpent, and then to the woman, and then to the Adam. Notice the order in which God pronounces their judgments. He pronounces judgment on the serpent in verse 11. He pronounces judgment on the woman in verse 15. He pronounces judgment on the Adam in verse 17. So what we have in this passage prominent here is the verbs take and eat. They become verbs of death. The verbs take and eat become verbs of life in Mark 14:22 when Jesus is with his own so in verse 21 the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them notice the language the Lord the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. So in making the aprons 
of plant fiber. You have the view of man. This is how man views his sin. This is the intrinsic corruption of humanism. Humanism at its essence is demonic. It is man's selfish attempt to cover his sin and therefore to assuage uh, the guilt of his conscience. The conscience is the accusing witness. But then there are those uh, who would extinguish the accusing witness of conscience by continuing on in their heinous deeds and therefore they become unconscionable. Their acts become unconscionable. Their conscience becomes seared, destroyed as with a hot iron because of what they uh, what they are doing. They, they treasure wrath against the day of wrath. So animals had to die. Their blood had to be shed. And their skins were used, what, by God uh, to clothe Adam and his wife. God, notice, God clothed them. And here, herein we have a type of the death of Christ. Sin requires a life. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Blood is spilled. Life is taken. And this looks forward to the cross of Jesus Christ. What does it mean to put on Christ? And so, if you notice uh, in this uh, this first uh, in, uh, encounter with this language, to put on, we have what? A life, a life that covers. And God sees, when God sees the blood, Remember in Egypt how the people of God were to take the hyssop and they were to what? They were to put it on the lentils and the posts of the door. And when the uh, the angel would come, when I see the blood, I will pass over. This looking forward to the cross or this covering or making garments of skin for Adam and his wife, anticipates the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is Genesis 3. Here we have the first proclamation of the gospel, the proto-gospel, the first uh, mention of the gospel, the good news of grace. God saves this home from eternal ruin. But if you notice in the coming chapters, we have the story of Cain and Abel. Cain will destroy Abel, who, who name, whose name means breath. And so he destroys his brother. And we see the incipient nature of selfishness 
in that when God moves in to uh, to Cain uh, and and tells him what's going to happen, uh, Cain says, "You know, my punishment is more than I can bear." He he is focused on himself, and you see selfishness becomes malignant in humanity. You see the consequences of sin unfold that began to unfold through time. And you see God's answer. Sin is never without consequence. And so to put on Christ means what? That uh, I have identified with what God is going to do. You know, uh, Psalm 22, the crucifixion psalm, was written centuries before the crucifixion and that the Hebrews never practiced crucifixion. But Psalm 22 uh, anticipates the crucifixion of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Psalm 23 is the victory psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. Psalm 22 opens, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Listen to that language. The forlornness of that anguish. The forlornness of that anguish goes back to Genesis 3. Who was walking in the garden or who walked in the garden in the cool of the day? It was Jesus Christ. We say the pre-incarnate Christ. We say the angel of Yahweh. It was he himself who walked in the garden in the cool of the day. The, the animal skins that he prepared anticipated his own incarnation and death. That's who God is. God comes, what, and he, to this home that has been destroyed and ruined by sin in Genesis 3. And God does not abandon them. They abandon him. And God comes in and uh, with, the, with the word of salvation. Don't give up on your family because of what you see, because of what you perceive. Have hope in God and what he is doing. If you are a real believer, now it is time for you to learn what it means to put on Christ as a garment. And when we get to uh, the New Testament, and the way Paul uses that verb, put on Christ, it is in what we call the aorist. That is at a point in time. Aorist imperative. That is, do it at once. Aorist imperative subjunctive. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ with the idea of never taking him off. And when we put on Christ, 
And when we are under the blood, we have a, uh, an awareness of that we don't want to engage in sin. We don't want to participate in sin. We are thankful for what God is doing in our lives. And let me tell you, some ugly days are coming. And a lot of people, when those ugly days come, those people who are repudiated the Lord, who refuse to obey and follow him, oh, man, they're going to go, want to get right uh, with him because the stuff that they have been doing and uh, the secret sins that they have been practicing, man, oh, man, people are going to be, uh, be looking toward where am I going to get shelter? A lot of people are being kicked out of their homes now and being kicked out of their homes. People in New Zealand or Australia, let's pray for them, have been living in their cars. Their homes have been taken from them. And now uh, in this country, they're bringing back uh, those interest-only mortgages. They're bringing back 40-year mortgages. They did in 08 and before. And so this thing, 40 years, people are going to be looking for homes, water. They're talking about Lake Mead uh, going down. Uh, people are going to be looking for food. Now is the time for prepare. Now is the time to be wise. Now is the time to get right with God. Don't fall into a depression. But when you put on Christ, you uh, you know that God has not given us a spirit of fear. You know that, uh, and you have if you have time to prepare, prepare. Be wise. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Get right with God. Get get your heart right with Him. And when you get your heart right with God, God will get, get your home right and keep it right. Read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthews chapter 5 through 7, and read what Jesus says about those who practice his word. And ferocious, virulent, and even potentially consuming times will come. But your house will remain because your house was founded upon the rock that is Jesus. Jesus was in this home in Genesis 3, and he provided salvation. He provided a way out from eternal ruin for this family whom he loves. There is no plan that can succeed against the Lord. The devil and his horrific plan to, to, to ruin humanity can work because God, God knows what? God knows the devil's playbook. And the devil cannot ruin God's plan. God's plan will prevail. God's decrees cannot be set aside or ruined or destroyed by the devil. The devil knows the word of God. And there's nothing he can do to stop what God is doing and whom God is saving. God is still saving souls today. And my prayer is that you become deep in the word and you come to know what it means to put on Christ.
The next episode, God willing, on Wednesday, we'll go into more detail about what it means to put on Christ. Good morning. This is Dr. Josiah Rich, and have a wonderful day.